Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of Rad Life. I'm your host, Austin. As I'm recording this, it's New Year's Eve, so I hope you all have a fantastic new year. Uh, it's just gonna Today I have a great interview with Big Todd, a.k.a. my dad, the investing guru of the century. <laughs> so just a little, we're going to do a little bit of introduction and then go over his investing strategies and a little bit of how he got into investing. And I'm excited to bring you this episode today. So why don't you introduce yourself? (laughs) Hi, I'm uh, Big Todd, uh, Austin's dad. (laughs) And uh, Happy New Year to everybody out there. So how did you get your start in investing? What brought you to being a stock picker? Um, well, those are two different questions. Okay. The first question that you asked me about getting started investing was, uh, first thing is, <clears throat> I like money. The second thing is, is I like making money without working. <laughs> and so uh, I, there's very, very few things you can do to make money without working. And one of them is um, investing in stock market or businesses or um, other people's ideas. So, take me back. So, when did you get started? Like, time frame? How old were you? I don't know how old I was. It was 1993. Um, We were just coming out of a recession. Um, The auto industry, which is very big in Michigan, southeast Michigan, was obviously depressed. I think Ford Motor stock at the time was about $6. I was highly interested in the stock market. And uh, my father-in-law had worked for Ford Motor Company and at $6 a share said, wow, this is, this is a fantastic opportunity. And that was actually the very first stock I bought and it was probably in 1993. So a little bit about the stock market back then. You had to actually call brokers. It wasn't like it is today Correct. with the electronic uh buy now, no commission, all of that. So I guess, how, what was the broker situation like back then versus how it is today? So um, you knew, the most of the big names that were around then are here today still. Some of them are gone. I mean, there some people may remember E.F. Hutton and and I can't remember all of them, but there were there were quite a few, there were quite a few full service brokers and that essentially entailed you going to their office filling out paperwork, um, giving them a deposit. And yes, if you needed to make a trade, you called them, talked to them, and they placed the trade for you. Uh, See, you know, probably on average, you probably would spend about $100 on a trade of 100 shares of something probably under $50 a share. I, at that time, opened an account with Charles Schwab, which was a discount broker. Um, you still had to call them. You still had to go to their office and fill out the paperwork and sign up. But you could call them, and they were a discount broker. So, yes, a trade of 100 shares of something under $50 a share probably cost me $75 as opposed to 100 at, say, uh, Goldman Sachs or Morgan Stanley or J.P. Morgan. So... It sounds like you had to buy stocks like in bulk, a hundred shares of something. So did you have to scrape together and save money and like do a lot? Of like, course. So. Well, yes, a hundred shares is considered a round lot. 
Okay. Okay. So anytime you bought less than 100 shares, you were buying an odd lot. And there was an extra fee attached to that. <laughs> so when you were picking stocks back then, you had to be a little bit more careful with your uh, what you wanted because there's a big transaction fee and there's a lot of work to... That's right. The transaction fee was considerable. was a considerable factor in what you bought and how many shares you bought. Um, there were also... So one of the things that attracted me the most was uh, dividend stocks and dividend paying stocks and dividend investing. And there was a system out there. It still exists today, but it, I don't think it has the... Um, it doesn't have the exclusiveness that it did then, and that was called um, dividend reinvestment clubs and dividend reinvestment um, stocks, where you went directly to the company, opened an account, sent them a check, they bought the shares for you, considerably less money on the trade, and then every time it paid a dividend, it paid you in shares. And then you could add money to that by sending them a check, and then once a month when they bought shares for the plan, they bought your shares, and it usually was, you know, just a few dollars for the trade. Okay. So, I know you've mentioned that to me in the past, just teaching me about investing, that these different brokers have gone in cycles of having uh, commission-based trades, and right now we're in a point in time when there's no really fees attached to trading. Do you think we'll get... At some point, the since there's so many retail investors now, do you think that these brokers are going to start making fees again? I anticipate that there will be fees. There was a point there probably 10 years ago where there were a whole pile of um, discount brokers where you electronically traded and they charged a very low fee and it got very, very competitive to the point where fees, I mean... I can tell you that when I called somebody and they wanted to charge me $7 a trade, I was ecstatic. $7 for a trade, any number of shares, unbelievable. But now they've been being bought up. Competition is a lot more fierce. And the brokers have found other ways to make money besides on the trade. So right now, yes, most stocks you can buy, no transaction fee electronically. It's a good thing, but I just don't believe it's going to last. That was going to bring me to uh, one of the questions I was going to ask you later, but one of the companies, Robinhood, I don't know if you've heard of them. They're one of the newer stockbrokers. Do you think they're doing anything new, or do you think they're just another fintech fad that's trying to break into the market? I don't know if you know anything about them. I don't know. I don't. I have not read anything about them. I've only heard their name from you, and I've seen them in, online in some news articles I've read. Um, it's, it's, a, it's another platform for, for people to work against the man, which is going to be the big brokerages, the big money players, um, it's, there's no doubt that the big money controls the market always has. It's not about, it's not about beating the big man. It's about learning how to play the game, playing alongside them, play, you can still play against them, but you're not going to beat them. And you might as well just, um, get used to the fact that they're there and that they have, they have the money. 
to move the move a market and you're either with the role or you're not with the role or you're take you know take advantage of you know what's happening with them that's always been the case so you mentioned a little bit about dividend investing right and i guess that goes way back my question was going to be have you always been a dividend investor or has your strategy changed now that your financial goals have changed because you're coming close to retirement? Um, so have you always been a dividend investor or has it been more of a shift since uh, you're changing financial goals and lifestyle? <laughs> so that's a funny question because in the beginning, I was a dividend investor. No question about it. And then... The late late nineties with the tech boom, I got big eyes like everybody else did, and I shifted my strategy to tech investing, internet investing, dot com investing. I think that's the era they call it dot com investing. The dot com bubble, yeah. And um, I got the big eyes like everybody else did, and shifted my strategy to the high growth dot com. You know, this is the future. What, however you want to phrase it. Um. I eventually have come full circle all the way back to dividend investing, but there is some merit to having a growth investing in your portfolio because, quite frankly, dividend stocks don't grow that fast, but you need some growth to push the portfolio up forward while also having, while also having a base down. as the dividend investing dividend stocks. Goal setting. Um, when I first started, I did not have goals. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that I tell people now whenever they ask me about it, I ask them, you know, what is your goal? What are you trying to accomplish? Because otherwise you're just floating along and you can get easily distracted by I know. .com investing I, and get I big have, eyes. And... I have that problem in my own investing is trying to define my goals instead of just picking what I think is going to be the next high flyer. You got to really have a long horizon view. Of, it's investing. Right. That's, not, it's investing. So I guess what made you become a stock picker versus just throwing it in the S&P 500, these different funds? Um, so I found it more fun and a lot more interesting to pick individual stocks. I've also been able to beat the S&P every year, either on the upside or lower downside by individual picking. When you pick just blanket funds, you pick, you get whatever they pick right. and you have to ride with it. You have no control over it. If you're not that interested in watching what the market does and what certain companies do on a daily, monthly or quarterly basis, fund investing is the way to go. It's a set it and forget it. You don't have to think about it. You just have to let them do all the work. That's not what I like. So in terms of your stock picking in a portfolio, do you try to keep in mind like a well-balanced portfolio? Like how many stock individual stocks are in your, I guess what you'd call a customly managed portfolio? So that's the timeless question. It's always asked. It's asked of money managers. It's asked of financial planners. It, the, when, you're, when you have smaller dollar amounts, say like 20000 or less, you don't need a lot of stocks. Okay, What you're trying to accomplish is you're trying to accomplish balanced growth. Now, your portfolio has to be balanced, 
but I also tell you that your whole portfolio has to be balanced. That includes your real estate holdings, if any, any business that you have, any cash, checking accounts. It has to be a whole package. I can I have one portfolio, one stock account that is 100% stocks, 100% invested all the time. And that's because I have other accounts that have the cash in them to cushion me when things go get soft. So what would you recommend to someone, say, around my age or younger, that they're like, I don't have much money, but I want to start picking stocks. How do I get started? Because they oftentimes get far and away caught up in the tech stocks, and they think, oh, my $100 or whatever wouldn't be enough to grow over time or something like that. Is there any a bit matter? Like any So little the electronic, electronic trading has allowed the small investor with a little bit of money to get into the market and accumulate shares. You can literally open an account, send them a $100 check and you can and pick a stock and you can buy one share of something. Right. Every week, every month, every quarter, however you want to do it, you can literally buy one share and beautifully no transaction fee. Right. So so your full $25 goes directly toward whatever it is that you buy. So in terms of we're talking about small amounts of money, would you recommend that they just keep buying the same stock, one company over and over in small amount? Like if right. it's a small Right, so you set, a, you set a goal. Um, like I had, I had one little account I started, and I had um, I, I bought two stocks with it, uh, Kimberly Clark and Pepsi-Cola, and I put them on the drip. Because yeah. the broker will do you, the drip for them. Can you just define drip for the drip would be dividend reinvestment program. Okay. And so they every time the the company paid a dividend, the the broker would give it to me in shares, because they obviously have a pool of investors on the same thing, and they will buy the shares in bulk and then spread it amongst. The beauty of computers give right. you fractional shares. It's the only way you can get fractional shares. In brokerage account, by the way. Robinhood does fractional shares. Do they? Okay. Robinhood does do fractional shares. So I started out with those two stocks. It started to grow. And um, and I would send money. And I didn't... Ha- and unlike the company's dividend program, reinvestment program, the broker, the reinvestment program only occurred with the dividends. I could send them a check for... let's not even send them a check. It's an electronic transfer on my bank account. So I got a bonus. I had extra $50. I send them the $50 and say, oh, let's see. uh, Oh, I can can afford to buy one share of Kimberly Clark. And so then I would buy one. Or I could buy one share of Pepsi. And it would just, and I could just accumulate the shares as I went along. That that account now, I think is well over $25,000 for those two stocks. And it's just, you just keep accumulating. Just over keep time. you know one here, one there, you know two here, two there. Eventually, and then, and suddenly it turns into it's you know over time it will turn into real money. And for young people, you got your whole lifetime in front of you. You just one share every month, one share every month. Yeah, it's only twelve shares, 
and a dividend. And then all of a sudden, after 10 years, now the dividend is buying you multiple shares at a time. And then you're still buying one share. And then over, this is not a fast game. Right. If you want a fast game, you can get into the tech, tech stocks and you got to trade in and trade out and trade in and trade out. And that's what you want to do. So I sleep at night. <laughs> just... You know, I've had some foibles with options tradings and stuff like that. I guess I just wanted to get hear a little bit about your foibles with options tradings for any of you out there that's tried your hand at it and wanted to hear it from someone who's been really good at investing, also failed at options trading. <laughs> uh, not too many people win at options trading, okay? And the ones that do win are always the ones that um, spend a lot of time with it. There are winners in options trading, but you have to spend a lot of time and you have to be watching and you got to constantly trade and you got to be a very good record keeper of what you're doing. I traded options, didn't win very often, probably most likely lost more than I made. It was not, I did not feel it was ever worth my time. I'm still amazed at how many advertisements I get continuously about options trading and how you can win and how you can win. And a lot of option strategy also revolves around shares you already own, doing uh, covered calls and uh, straddles and put options against things you already own to protect yourself on the downside of your holdings. Uh, do you do any hedging with put options? No. Nope. Okay. Nothing. No. When I... When, on a core holding, if uh, the market tanks and a core holding gets too low, I buy, I buy, I back up the truck, so to speak. You and load I, the I, boat. <laughs> I load up on it because I just look at it and I say, boy, I just bought some of these shares last month at $100 and today it's at $75 for no reason other than the market has changed its direction for some reason. If I liked it at 100 I love it at 75 So in terms of... A big popular thing in investing is, at least on social media, is technical analysis and chart reading. How much credence do you give to that? How much do you think it's a load of hog? <laughs> or, I mean, no, there's a lot of there's a lot of it. People are good at it. There's it's evolved a lot since I first looked at it in the late '90s. I do look at charts because you can find a good stock and buy it at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. And that's what the chart will sh- will help you with. So I look at the long-term trend chart. I'm obviously in a later stage investing. So when I find a stock, I look at it's one month, it's 30, day, it's 30 days, it's uh, three months, six months, one year, three year, and five year, if it's been around that long. And all I want to see, I, I get it, it goes up and down, up and down, up and down. But what you want to see is the long-term trend it's going up. Yeah. So how, what kind of characteristics of a company are you looking at? Like what are the go-tos? Like step one, you think you want to invest in this company. You don't know. I guess let's back, back up even a step before that. I have, I just ran into some money. I got my COVID relief check or something. I want to buy some shares. I don't know what to buy. How... Does Big Todd go about finding shares to buy? What company to buy? First thing I always do is look at what I already own. And as the question I ask myself is, is, do I need more of something that I already own? 
The next question, if that, if that question is yes, and it's generally yes, mm-hmm. then I look at it, when is it paying a dividend? Okay? Who's paying next? Because I don't really want to buy into one of my stocks that's already ex-dividended because the money is dead. Mm-hmm. Okay? The money is dead. It's not going to earn me anything until the next quarterly payout, which is going to be three months from now. And I have a variety of dividend-paying stocks, so something is always getting ready to go ex-dividend. If I'm looking for a new investment, I should be looking at something that I have on my tracker because I'm looking at lots of different companies all the time. So how does something make your tracker? How does something make my tracker? has to be interesting. And I find that I find it by... Um, uh, I read lots of articles about all kinds of companies. And lot, most of the time, they're companies I'm not even going to invest in. But I find good ideas from, that, from those articles about something else. That maybe this company uh, that I'm reading about builds uh, spacecraft, but I'm not going to invest in the spacecraft. But let's say... Um, to get the spacecraft into the orbit, they're going to contact a satellite company that shoots, that builds the rockets or launches the rockets. And I say, oh, look at, I go look at them and they're, oh, they're launching a satellite every 30 days and they're making money hand over fist. Would have never found them, never thought about them, never even knew that they existed if I hadn't found this other company. Um, another way is I always like to look at the billionaire hedge fund guys and what are they investing in? They usually have an inside track on what's coming, companies that are young and growing like crazy. So I look in their portfolios to see, hey, and I look at the name. First thing is the name. What's the name of this company? What the hell kind of name is that? What do they do? <laughs> and so then I just read and I just, just read and I say, wow, that's kind of interesting. And then I try to cross-reference it with, say, several other articles or several other funds to see if they're all buying the same thing. So how does something graduate from your tracker? So you have the money, you have multiple things on your tracker. How does it graduate from being on your tracker to now you've bought shares and you are a proud owner of this company? All right. So first off, I have to have cash to invest. Right. Okay. Secondly, I may have something that I feel like has run its course. Another small company that has grown, um, has reached my target price. Say the its its growth rate now is slowing. It's going from a slow from a fast small company to a medium slower company, and so I feel like the easy money has been made now, and I I want to cash out and and move to another small company. That's growing. So there's there's always that in my portfolio. There's always a small company growing fast. There's always a medium company that's still growing. That's your growth part of your portfolio. And then there's always piles of dividend stocks. Mm-hmm. And the way that I built it is that I'm getting paid every month by somebody. Right. So anyway. So when from, once you got when cash. I got so. the cash. And so then I look at it. I found the company that I'm interested in. I look at the chart. Mm-hmm. Okay, I look at the chart. Is it a good time to buy? Has it had a lull in the action? Is this is the volume dropped off, and the stock price stable? Okay, um, what's the other thing I was gonna say? I go to the balance sheet, and I look at 
um, trailing 12 months, cash flow burn. You know, so their their expenses are going to go up, their cash flow burn is going to go up, but uh, sales have to be going up also. Sales have to be going up faster than the cash flow burn. And then I'm most likely going to be... And if the story is interesting, if it's an interesting thing, if I think it's actually a worthwhile business. I remember... Um, at the beginning of the pandemic, a friend of mine asked me, says, what do you think of Peloton? And I said, Peloton in this environment is probably going to be a good investment until the stop, until the, until something breaks loose. Mm-hmm. And then it's going to crash because I can tell you right now that people are not going to pay $5,000 for no bike and they're not going to pay $100 a month. They have somebody yell at them on their own bike in their house. <laughs> right. That when you put it that way, Peloton doesn't sound that and, and it and it it thing just zoomed right up. It just blew up. I don't remember how high it got, but it has come crashing down because well gyms are open now. Right. And now I don't have to just ride a bike. I can go to the gym, I can treadmill, ride a bike, do some weightlifting, do some uh God, what are they? High intensity, short training. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things I can do at the gym for less money than the Peloton's monthly subscription. So is there any industries you try to stay away from? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Crazy stuff. Okay. I mean, but I've been wrong in the past. Like, I still don't believe that uh, things like Uber Eats and DoorDash, I just don't see it. So we just got cut off on uh, some technical difficulties. The last question I asked was, uh, I'm still here with Big Todd, investing guru. The last question I asked was, is there any industries that he avoids? We were just busy crapping on Peloton. Uh, Next, we were about to crap on Uber Eats. And DoorDash. (laughs) And DoorDash. I would never pay for those. So those are, are, that's one of the criterias for me also is, is would I buy that? Right. And like, there are, I, every time I look at those, there's like, I'm like, there's no way I'm paying these delivery fees for this. But like the last place I worked, there was like, everybody there was getting Uber Eats for lunch or, and they'd get Uber Eats for dinner. And granted, these people were bad with their money and they weren't financially good and people, like they didn't balance their budget very well, but they, they were buying this stuff. And I'm like, that's stupid. So I guess these are companies and, and preying on the, on these people, but I guess there's more stupid people than smart people in the world. I, I have no answer for that, I, but that is one of my criteria. Is that, was that something that I would buy? Yeah. You know, and I can't and I can't do it. You know, um, I well, we never got delivery as a kid. As kids, it's so much easier just to drive five minutes or ten minutes wherever and pick it up than paying. 20 bucks to have it delivered. Yeah, what are you talking about? You're talking about um, a $15 Taco Bell order turns into $30. Yeah. So that, to me, that's two trips to Taco Bell. Right. Or a share of something almost. (laughs) Or you could look at it that way too. That's what me and my friends at work, every time we spend some money and we go, oh, that's a share of this or that's a share of that we just bought. There you go. See, So, so you're in the mentality. Right. So... We talk about Peloton. So one of the criteria is something you would never buy. Is there just an industry in general? Like, is there what I, other stuff so, do you avoid? Um, tech stocks that are um, about uh, equipment. Um, <clears throat> I'm reluctant to invest in chip stocks. I do own one, 
but I'm reluctant because I've seen them cycle. I've seen, I've seen it where a chip company is building a chip and they're the greatest thing since sliced bread, but there's another chip coming made by somebody else that's going to take over. And so you got to be able to buy the stock, ride the stock, sell the stock. And in most cases, it's... Um, so you're not, not really, a, you're, you're anti-Jim Cramer's pumping of NVIDIA. <laughs> yeah. Well, NVIDIA's been around for quite a while, okay? NVIDIA's been around for a while. The chip market has expanded. Well, everything has at least 20 chips in it nowadays. Right. So you can't... I invested at one time uh, in the 90s was the first time that I got my eyeballs popped out on a, on a stock trading. I bought this company called iOmega. And they made an external storage device. And it was the greatest thing going. People were buying these things like crazy and they kept making them bigger. More storage. Double, 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 double. I don't even know if they're in business anymore. I made a whole lot of money. I was sitting there looking at my... And you couldn't look at, the, you couldn't look at stocks back then. I had to dial in on my phone and then type in the symbol and listen to the recording tell me what the current quote was for the <laughs> That's, stock. Things but have I changed. was making and it was going up and splitting and going up and splitting and I was making way more money than I was working every day. That's when I knew for sure that stock market was the place to be. Yeah. That's when I knew for sure. So that was my first that was my first eye popper like that i've had a few other ones the last really good one was um well what was that one that you had the um uh docusign 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 was a real nice pop um i had the trade desk when it first hit the united states i that one made me oodles of money i could not believe it one day they had an earnings report i look at my phone and it was up 170 dollars unbelievable in one day in yes. one day. That is like, crazy. That's all. Well, I sold. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's not really been a big, big run from then. I missed Roku. I have Rokus in my house. Yeah, that's missed, one you would buy. That so. was one that I would buy. I used the product. Right. I used the product. Um, there was another one I may I had uh, probably 10 years ago. Was um, a company that made some little switch on the cell phone towers. Oh, and data centers. That's what it was. They made a little switch in the data centers, and it kept the switch kept getting bigger and faster and bigger and faster and bigger and faster. And then all of a sudden, some other company made this new thing that totally blew it away. So, so if you, um, if you overnight it crashes and overnight suddenly their sales drop like a brick in a quarter, and the stock is nowhere to be found today. And and the <laughs> new guy is. Probably the same, third, same probably thing. same thing happened to him. So that's that's why one of those those types of stocks, I I just can't. I'm, I don't have the patience for it anymore. I can't find them. I don't I don't see them. I I won't touch them because, God knows, one day you're at work and you're not looking, and all of a sudden, boom. Right. It, it's somebody new comes along and made something new, and the whole thing has changed and. And that's just the way it goes. <laughs> yeah. So talking about like there's been ones you've missed or things like that. How 
What kind of advice would you give to somebody who feels like, oh, they missed out or they have FOMO or... I, I do not suffer from FOMO and you've heard me say this before. Well, I want this. You, what my phrase is, and I learned this from an old guy trading a long time ago, there will be another opportunity in something else or maybe even the same company. You just have to wait and keep your eyes open. Right. One door closes and another door opens. You just have to be ready to answer the door so in terms of um fear of missing out is there say you jumped into something too high because you had fear of missing out should you just ride it out dollar cost average sell and try to save your money <laughs> like uh, or, and so put it into something i mean i know situations are different but those are just a few of the strategies that people talk about so the, so again i I've said it once you can buy. You can find a good company and buy it at the wrong time, and when you realize that you've bought at the wrong time, yes, you have a couple options. You can ride it out. You can dollar cost it down, or you can take your loss, and and move on. Right. None of those strategies are bad. It just has to. It's a question of how you feel about your money. Is and the and the company. What happened? Why did it go backwards? Maybe it went backwards because they lost some big contracts. You didn't know. Well, yeah. it's time to move on. Mm-hmm. If they can't, if they can't turn it around and replace that revenue stream, stock prices—it's a—it's a—it's a dead. It's dead. So, how do you feel about penny stocks? I don't trade penny stocks at all. I, I just—I <laughs> think we did a, did do a penny stock once or twice here in the last couple of years. It's usually, it's for fun. To me, it's like going to a casino and putting money in a slot machine. It's the same thing. You might get lucky. Hey, you might hit it big. Some people are good at that. Some people can find that stuff. It's not me. I, I pay no attention to them. I come from an era where penny stocks were a pump and dump. Yeah. And, um, you know, and you get big eyes because you can say, oh, it's only a dollar. It's only 25 cents. I can buy... 5,000 shares of this. <laughs> Just think of it makes it to a dollar. Man, I've turned 300 bucks into 5,000. Yeah, okay. Or you just lost 300. I've had a couple penny stock fails because I thought I got the big eyes and I got pumped and dumped. It's, but, it's, easy, it's easy to do in the beginning. What's the first rule of investing? Don't invest anything you can't lose or can't afford to lose. Don't invest anything you can't afford to lose. That's another phrase that I always tell people. If you had a million dollar portfolio and the market tra- tanked 20%, that's $200,000 of your portfolio disappeared in 30 days. Right. How would you feel? How would you react? What's your feeling? How are you going to are you going to be able to take it? Are you going to be able to look at it objectively and say, "Hey, the market the market tanked, it'll come back. I got to make an adjustment." Or would I buy more? What's or would the, I panic and sell more? What's the uh, most important organ when investing? Stomach. You gotta have stomach. You gotta have stomach. So it's how, a wild ride. So how would you rate your uh, assessment of your risk tolerance? Do you think you tolerate more risk than the average person? Do you think you have? You're a pretty safe one, or so I. I do stick my neck out on stocks, and um, I do take risk with them, and uh, I know that I could lose, and I know that I could win. 
Um, when things go wrong, I always ask the question. All right, so we made a we made a buy. It things went backwards on us. What do you want to do with it? Do you believe in the company? Buy more. If you believe this is a short term uh, market fluctuation, buy more. If uh, if whatever's happened and you just don't care anymore, you just want out. Get out. But. So Assess it. Look at it objectively. Find out what went wrong. Why? Is it just a market swing? I could. I can't even begin to tell you how many stocks I bought on market volatility, where I'd put in a stupid number for to buy it, and the market is price swinging through the course of the day, hits my price, and then closes higher than what I bought it at on the same day. Yeah, that was a lesson I have had to learn because sometimes I feel like the market's right away from me, and I put an order in and chasing it a little bit at open or something like that instead of i mean it hasn't cost me a lot of money it's just just put the low order in lower it'll hit it don't worry yeah so and that's part of watching that's part of my strategy of watching for a long time you can see the trend in the trading and and you can see that it swings during the course of the day and so you look at it and um so for like stocks that i'm accumulating for my dividends i look at it the trend on the price. Okay, so the high price was $59 for the day and the low price was $57.50, right? And it's hitting that every day this week. So, so I know I'll put my buy price in at like 58 or 57.75 and just wait and it will trip. Right. So in terms of just switching gears a little bit, what do you, do you think the stock market overall is over overvalued right now do you think we're in a bubble stock market has been overvalued for about 15 years <laughs> so does that mean the bubble is going to be a bigger pop or do you think make you so or, there's there are there are forces at work right now in the big money circles that are driving the market higher i would i don't know which direction the market's going to go but I have a strategy that covers me whichever way the market goes. I have some growth stocks that move fast and will probably take hits with the market because interest rates may go up. I have some dividend paying stocks that are going to pay me every quarter, no matter what, whether the price is high or whether the price is low. They might come down also with the interest rate rise. Hey. Interest rates may stay the same the whole time, and the market just marches right back up again. Either way, we just keep on keeping on. So, you got to be in to win. That's true. You got to buy to win. So I know you don't really care about this that much, but this just Tesla irks me. I don't. I I have to mention it in this podcast just because it irks me. I don't like it. I think their cars are all right. Elon Musk is a smart guy. It pisses me off how much the company's worth just because there's no way that they should be valued higher than the big three combined. Do you think that eventually the chickens will come home to roost or do you think the market's just riding on too much hopium? Like... Hopium, <laughs> good word. Um, so I've read lots of blogs on Tesla. There's lots of people like you who are just can't believe the cheerleading on this company. I would agree with you. It's way overvalued. However, 
it doesn't bother me that much. It bothers me so much. <laughs> it's 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 kind of, for all right. So for me, it would be the same as like buying Facebook. Everything about Facebook, I can't stand. But, but Facebook in, actually has a product and users. <laughs> and so does Tesla. Yeah, not nearly as much as Facebook. <laughs> so. I mean, Meta. But I have, <laughs> but I have purchased Facebook in the past, bought it, wrote it up, and sold it. Probably will do so again. As much as I dislike it, I like money more. And if I think I can make a buck off that, I will. Okay. Yeah. And that's how you have to treat The other day, Tesla. you were telling me that Kathy Wood's ARK Invest is a big reason in Tesla's share price success. Yes. Do you think Kathy Wood is legitimate or just another person that's gonna, that made it big fad in a few years and then it's going to fall to the wayside? Because she's had a rough, she had a rough year this past year. Yeah, uh, well, and, and so here's another, here's another example of, um, of a person like myself who's been around a long time. This is not Kathy Wood's first go-around. This is her second go-around doing this. Okay. Okay. She had funds before about, ah, man, maybe maybe 10, 12 years ago. <clears throat> she had some, she had a philosophy. This last time she had a philosophy. She picked some companies. They were good companies. They started to take off. Her, her portfolio started to grow. People started to notice her. And then when people notice that you're making money, Everybody throws money at you. Oh, why should I have to pick a stock? Kathy Wood will pick it and it'll go. Yes. Many investors who bought Kathy Wood's ARC funds in the past year and a half have not made money. Even if the fund went up a lot in 2020. If you got in at the end of 2020, you got at the end of her run. Yeah, you've lost money, and since then you then. lost money all through two thousand twenty-one. When the S and P five hundred was roaring this past year, and you put arc money, right? You got people saw people get greedy. They get big eyes. Kathy Woods got the picks, but the more money she got, the more harder it was for her to make the portfolio move. And so, one of the things that she did do was buy a lot of Tesla. She bought a lot of Roku. She bought a lot of. Things that she already owned, even though she probably really didn't think that she needed any more of those shares. But she had so much but money. But the money just kept coming. Right. And the money just kept coming. And so, and then a lot of those portfolios you start to look at, she's buying Lockheed Martin and she's buying Apple and all these things that didn't fit the model of what her original. Right. Goal was with the fund. She started even buying her own funds in her funds. Did you, uh, did, have you seen a lot of Kathy Wood type figures in all your years of investing? Or is she kind of her own, uh... So if you were with Kathy Wood in the beginning, you made a lot of money. Right. Okay. So you had to, you had to believe in what she was doing, mm-hmm. you know, and just like a stock... Once everybody started flooding in, you know, then you you knew you had to you had to get ready to get out. Okay. You know, there were there've been a lot of people like that through the years, but I'm not a fund guy. 
Right. So you know, I like, can't remember their names, mm-hmm. you know, but so in terms, I guess switching gears now, just we've beat the Kathy Wood test. I just had to mention You just that. had to you just had to go there, didn't I you? I just had to go there. So now switching gears and an abrupt transition. How do you feel about IPOs? Are you ever involved? Do you wait it out? Do you watch them? Do you uh, care? I, I did IPOs in the 90s um, back when you could actually get some. So uh, nothing different has changed. Nothing has changed about IPOs. They oversubscribe a lot. Um, they take off when, you, when they first come public because there's some hype involved in it. And everybody wants to get in on it because everybody wants to make a fast buck. They want to get in on it on the IPO and then dump it on the big run, which usually happens within so the, the first is, day can you get out? to the first month. <laughs> um, so as, as, a, as a person now who does not have access to IPOs, I just let them go. And it's just money that I'm not going to be able to make. You accept that. I accept and... that and... and Say, oh, this company went public. Oh, okay. What do they do? Is if there's a solid business there, there's time to make money. Did you see that uh Krispy Kreme went public a little while ago or a few years ago? Uh so that's their second time because the first time they went public was man, I don't know, maybe fifteen years ago, twenty oh, years ago. I didn't know they went public twice. That's why it's yeah, good to went, have someone they went, they went public and um they were bought out I wanna say it was about five or six years ago they were bought by private equity. Taken private, and so now they're now they've they've whatever, gone public again. So whatever the private equity team has done to re to redo the company and make it more profitable, to make it go public. Their share prices aren't looking since IPO haven't been good. But no. I just wanted to throw. I didn't know that they went yeah, public twice. Yeah, that's the second time. Yeah, interesting. If they just went, that's their second time. Yep. Well, this has been. Uh, I guess I want to close. Last final thing. Do you have any... What's on your tracker right now? Any companies? What's the... Mm. What Top one you're looking at but haven't bought yet. Top one I'm looking at. Uh, don't, don't have anything really... Nothing pressing. A couple of them that I have, uh, that you have, okay. that I um, didn't invest in and that ran away from me. So I'm waiting for the next flattening or, or some, some type of news, a catalyst to make me want to buy it. And that would be the IQV company, yeah. the ticker IQV. I can't for the life of them remember the yeah. name it's, of it's it. It's a biotech. Yeah, um, they do clinic. They do clinical trial databases for to make it easier for biotech startups to run clinical trials. Yeah, that's a good business to be in. So, and and okay, closing on any last advice for young, freshly starting investors? Yes, go to YouTube. And watch a video from the TV show King of Queens called Doug and Carrie Buy Stock. And watch that video. And if you react the same way they do, don't buy stock. Buy a fund. (laughs) Set it and forget it. (laughs) All right. Uh, At this point, I'm going to plug my Twitter. Uh, You can follow me at RadLifeSpotify on Twitter. Uh, Make sure to give this podcast a follow. 
show us Big Todd some love. Give us a five-star review. Uh, we'll have to do this again. This has been fun. Maybe we'll talk about more stock picks, specific picks at that time. Uh, just a reminder, this is not licensed financial advice. These are not to <laughs> do, do whatever you want with your own money. Don't follow us. Uh, no, just a dude who buys stocks for himself. Yeah. We, we don't know your own individual situation. This is not financial advice. Do not follow us. Uh, you, so you can find me on Twitter. You can find my artwork on OpenSea.io, S-E, Open and then S-E-A.io. I've got some art there. You can buy it at Rad Life Engineer on that uh, program. And I'll see you all next year. Welcome to 2022.